Thank you, guys. That was brilliant. Now, as Christians, I understand that for many, the idea of talking about having doubts in any sort of open way, an honest way, feels strange. Uh, it feels a wee bit like a taboo subject. You know, Christians, we shouldn't have doubts. We shouldn't have questions that we can't quite figure out the answers to. But somehow it's only the, the bad Christians that have doubts. It's only the, the weak ones, the ones that are about to backslide. They're the ones that have doubts. I, I'm really not so sure that that premise is, is a right one. In fact, I think it's a very dangerous thing to start down the lines of. I want to look at what Jesus said to two doubters specifically but both were very strong believers. Both were very much close and dedicated to the work of Christ. The first is John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest of men, okay? Grasp that, the greatest of men. The one who had doubts was the greatest, not the weakest. The second one we'll look at is Thomas, because of course you can't talk about doubt and not talk uh, about Thomas. And what I want to do is I want to kind of work through them uh, simultaneously. We'll look at the doubters, we'll look at the doubts, and then we'll look at the, the response that Jesus had to both of them. Okay, so we'll be comparing the two uh, just at each step as we go along. But there's lots of other people that we could have looked at. Uh, if you remember Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, um, in the Gospels, the woman found the tomb empty, and on running to the apostles, they found that the apostles, the people that were following Jesus for three years, who had seen the miracles, the ones who were most trusted by Jesus, they did not believe their report. The people who were most dedicated to Jesus heard that he rose from the dead and went, I doubt that. I doubt that very much. Remember when Peter was walking on the water? He got his eyes off the Savior, and he started to drown. And Jesus asks him the question, uh, Peter, why did you doubt? Now, there's a study that we could have. Hmm? Stepping out in faith, doing things that other believers aren't doing, living your best life for Jesus, walking towards him, being obedient. And then doubt comes. And we start to get that sinking feeling. There's a study. Why does doubt come when you're stepping out in faith? Perhaps we could have went to the man in Mark 9. In verse 24, we read of the father of a child who's had this epileptic fit, and nobody is able to heal him, and so they come to Jesus. And Jesus says, do you want me to heal the boy? And the man responds and says, well, look, yeah, if you can. And Jesus looks at him. Now, this, is, you know, this isn't exactly what the Bible says. This is uh, the Jeff International Version. Uh, and Jesus kind of goes, what's with all this if stuff? What's, what's with all this if nonsense? I mean, what are you talking about here? And then the man responds and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's a really strange way of phrasing it, though, isn't it? What does he want help with his unbelief for? Help my unbelief do what? 
Help my unbelief die. Help my unbelief to be killed. It's a prayer to destroy the doubt that is in us and replace it with trust. And I'm sure we've all been there where we say, Lord, I want to be here. I'm just not there yet. I want to be there where I'm trusting you and you've got no doubts and there's no... I just want... I'm not there yet. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief to die. It's a really interesting prayer that we could study at some point. What I do know is that the Gospels are crammed, packed full of interactions with those who struggled with doubt. The letters that Paul wrote and in the, second th- uh, the final third of our Bibles are often addressed to churches in which the people were struggling with doubts. They had questions. They, they weren't sure what was going on. Here, here's another text, Hebrews. Hebrews seems to be a really big in this communal nature of fighting doubts together as a church. Hebrews 3 says, um, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, or perhaps doubting heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What he's saying is, guys, listen, we've got to keep at each other. We've got to keep encouraging each other because doubt can lead to unbelief and unbelief can lead to hardness of heart and hardness of heart can lead to sin coming in. And so we have to be encouraging one another so we don't allow doubt and, and sin to sneak in. The overarching thing then, just as we start, is that doubt seems to be a really normal part of the Christian life. There come specific moments, yes, when we have to decide, okay, am I going to step out in faith like Peter in the water? Am I going to obey here or am I going to just ignore him? Play it safe. By the way, it's never safe disobeying God. But we phrase it up as playing it safe. And then there's these other times whenever there's just this ongoing, everyday questions of living in a broken world. When we ask things like, I wonder if God really is as good as we think he is. Is God really as safe as we think he is? Is he really as for me as I think he is? Scripture does not have a problem with people asking these questions. No problem whatsoever with people asking these questions. Because the scriptures and as believers, we have to start from the point that God is big enough to withstand the scrutiny. He can stand up to the scrutiny. The real question is, what are we going to do with that doubt? How do we respond to that doubt? So let's start with John the Baptist uh, in Matthew 11. His problem is that he doubted the identity of Jesus. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the guy? Are you the one that I've been talking about? Or are you definitely him? And Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed are the one who is not offended by me. What a question. Are you really who you say you are? Have I been wasting my time chasing after a Jesus that didn't really exist? 
Am I about to die in prison for backing the wrong horse? John the Baptist is a guy who preached and proclaimed Christ to the masses. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the man whose shoelaces I'm unworthy to untie. John had been very clear about who he thought Christ was. He was under no illusions whatsoever and very powerful in sharing that message. But now he's in prison. The game's changed a wee bit. The situation has changed a wee bit. He knows he's about to be executed. And he's got questions. A lot of things are being re-evaluated in prison. And when the pressure is on, the questions come. Keep your finger in, in Matthew 11, and then let's go over to John 20. Because Thomas had a slightly different doubt. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them, the other disciples, when Jesus came. This is after, after Christ has risen from the dead. Thomas isn't aware of it yet. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand in the sides, I will never believe. Never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So Jesus didn't use the door here, okay? He appears in the middle of the room and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So imagine the apostles. Hey, Tom, 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 guess what? Jesus is alive. We've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. <laughs> Show me. Show me. No, 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 no. Really, the tomb is empty. The, the woman came and then we were up, and we were up in the room. And Jesus, he's alive. Show me. Thomas is that guy. He's the classic doubter, okay? I mean, we name people who doubt after him, the doubting Thomases. They, you know, he is somehow the patron saint of doubters. And we usually find Thomas in the New Testament singing in the minor key. Um, I've often sort of thought if he was a, if it was a Winnie the Pooh, he'd be Eeyore. You know, remember Eeyore the donkey? Yeah, the, de- the sort of manic depressant, you know. And, good morning, Eeyore. Good morning. If it is good which I doubt. That's Thomas. I heard about a woman who was making, uh, it was her first time to ever make Christmas dinner for the family. Uh, She wasn't what you would say skilled in in the kitchen. She was a novice. And so she said to her family, look, this is my first go around. I'm making such a big meal. It's complicated. It's hard. So look, if it doesn't work out, nobody say anything to me. We'll just put our coats on, we'll go to a hotel, and we'll get a meal there. But nobody say anything. So Christmas came. She spent all morning, all day before, and, and that morning in the kitchen. And when she brought the turkey into the dining room, there were her family, all dressed with their hats and coats on, ready to go to the hotel. They had their doubts. Thomas is the apostle with his coat on. But there's a couple of things that I think we should mention about Thomas just to 
address the balance. First of all, Thomas is really loyal. Thomas should really be known for his loyalty. Thomas was the guy who was most loyal to Jesus because there was that time when our Lord said, okay, let's go up to Judea. And all the rest of them goes, <coughs> you're kidding, right? They just tried to stone you up there. There's no way we should be going to Judea. Thomas turned around and says, well, let's go die with Jesus. Now, again, it's a very Eeyore way of looking at it, but it's loyal. Guys, I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going, I'm going with him. Loyalty, commitment. The other thing about Thomas is that he's honest. When um, he's the guy in the upper room at Passover, when Jesus said, look, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in me. Uh, believe, you believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And though if I go, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I'm going, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas goes, uh, no, we don't. What are you talking about? I sort of imagine the scene. All the apostles were going, hmm, yes, God, hmm, oh, amen. Very profound. And Thomas is kind of looking around. Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't, I'm not getting it. I love that about Thomas. I love this honesty. He's not going to sit and pretend that, that he's understanding when he doesn't understand. He's not going to sit there when Jesus is in front of him and not ask the question. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did because because he asked the question, we have one of the most wonderful statements that Jesus said in all of Scripture. Because in response to what Thomas said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So praise God for Thomas's honesty. Thomas was never the guy who just did put on a mask and pretend that everything's fine. Oh, glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, mm-hmm, amen. Not if he didn't mean it. He just said, Jesus, the way you know, sorry, I don't know the way. I have not, not a clue what you're talking about. I can't figure it out. You have to explain it to me again. It's like a little boy came home from school with a bad report card and all the terrible marks, and his dad looked at it and says, well, there's one good thing that we can take out of this. With grades like this, we know you're not cheating. I think when we come to Thomas, we could say, Thomas, with statements like this, we know you're not faking. Thomas may have been a doubter, but he was loyal. He was honest. And so those are our two doubters, John the Baptist and Thomas, doubting Thomas. John doubted the identity of Jesus. Thomas doubted the activity of Jesus. He's, he's risen again. He's going to have to show me. So let's look at the doubts they had, the things that they were struggling with, the things that brought them to a place of doubt. First of all, John. Now, John's doubts came from unfulfilled 
expectations, unfulfilled expectations. John thought that because Jesus had come and because he was going to usher in this coming kingdom and things were going to happen, there was going to be no more Romans, there was going to be no more oppression. And he believed that because he was the forerunner, he was the one appointed by God to prepare the way that he would be the number two. He would be the lieutenant of Jesus' new kingdom, ushering all this in side by side. That's not happening. John's in jail. And in jail, he's asking questions. And the questions probably go along the lines of, didn't Jesus announce he was going to set captives free? Why am I now a captive? Wasn't Jesus the guy who said, I've come to set at liberty those who are bound? Why am I in chains? And notice verse 2. I'm going to go back. Verse 2. When Jesus heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. See, it's not that Jesus wasn't doing anything and he's going, Jesus, why aren't you doing anything? Why, why, why isn't there things happening? You, I thought you were going to be the guy. He's looking around saying, hold on, Jesus. How come you're helping that person and you're not helping me? God, how is it that you can heal that, that person and you're not even going to lift a finger to help me? Jesus, why is it that you're going to, to the tax collector's houses and the leper's houses and you're going to all these people and you haven't visited me in prison? Jesus, why is it that other people are getting all the special treatment and I'm left here out to dry? Why are you going to do me like this? Out of everyone, do you not think I'm the one who deserves a break? Been out in the desert eating locusts. Do you not throw me a bone here? You take these unfulfilled expectations. You add them to the emotional and physical strain and turmoil of being in prison. And you have a recipe for doubt. That's John's doubt. Unfulfilled expectations. I thought my Christian life would be X, but I'm getting Y. And now I'm asking the question, why? Why me? Folks, it is not unusual for strong believers from time to time face these strong questions of uncertainty. Moses second-guessed God. He, he second-guessed his calling a couple of times. Jeremiah wanted to quit the ministry altogether. Elijah wanted just God to kill him and be done with it. He was done. See, when a believer has faithfully and sacrificially served the Lord for years, and then instead of reward, instead of a harvest, instead of fruitful ministry, they're experiencing tragedy or a series of tragedies, it's hard to figure that out. How come you serve God for so long and then your child dies? Or a cancer diagnosis comes? Or, or the different things start happening. God, where are you when I really needed you? After all I've done, after all that I've sacrificed, what's going on? Are you who you say you are, really? After all I've done, this is what I'm getting? What kind of God are you, really? He's doubting the identity of Jesus. Maybe some are in church tonight, and some of you are struggling with similar doubts like John as to the true nature, the true identity of who Jesus is. What kind of God are you, really? if you'd allow this to happen. Whenever you're helping out other people, and you're not going to help me. Are you the guy? 
Thomas, his doubt's different. His is coming from personal presuppositions. Now, let me just explain that. See, Thomas was living his life with certain assumptions. There were certain things that he just assumed were true, and therefore that, that, that he couldn't reconcile what Christ was doing and these assumptions that he had. Mainly his assumptions were dead people don't come back to life again. When people die, that's it. It's a fair assumption to make. He was kind of, that was fairly ingrained on him. Yes, he had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, but now that guy himself was dead. Thomas had seen him die. He had seen it happen. Those Romans don't make mistakes. When those guys want to kill you, you end up dead. Thomas wasn't expecting Jesus to get up again. If he's the Messiah, he's going to set up the kingdom now, but now he's dead. And because he wasn't expecting his death, he certainly wasn't expecting the resurrection. He wasn't open to the idea of it at all. And, and, and so his doubt is completely different to John's. You'd almost go as far to label it as unbelief. Doubt and unbelief are slightly different. Um, doubt has a question and goes looking for the answer. John in prison had questions. He sends people straight to the source. You've got to sort me out. What's the, what's the answer to the question? Unbelief, however, doesn't really care too much about the answers. Doubt says, I can't believe. Unbelief says, I don't care what you have to say. I won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. See, doubt will work through the difficulties and find a faith that is reasonable and satisfying, but unbelief is different. It decides against faith and pushes it away at all costs, and it's based on assumptions. So Thomas, okay, get this, he, he's one of the apostles that didn't go to the tomb to see if the tomb is empty. There's no record of him ever going. In fact, the first time Jesus shows up with the apostles, Thomas still is not with them. He, he's isolated himself. He's cut himself off. So Jesus is show, showing up and is doing things and encouraging people. But Thomas isn't there to receive that because he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to be with them. He doesn't want to have that experience. It's very different from John. John's being locked away against his will. He doesn't want to be isolated, but he finds himself isolated. Thomas isolates himself by choice. He wasn't with them. Matthew Henry once said that there are none so blind as those who will not see. And there are none so deaf as those who will not hear. You ever talk to a person who says, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about faith. I don't want to chat about the church. I don't want to talk about Jesus. That's blindness. That's com being completely cut off and narrow-minded. That's unbelief. So here's the question then. We've got two doubters. We've got two different kinds of doubts that are surfacing. One based on who Jesus is. The other based on what Jesus is doing or not doing. What does Jesus say? Well, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist, the question is, are you the guy or not? Jesus doesn't go yes. He doesn't say 
no, which would have been really handy. If John's having doubts, a yes or no answer really would have been the ideal scenario here. You know, listen, go tell John, yeah, I'm the guy. Tell him just to hang on in there. I'll have a plan. He doesn't say that. He says, verse 4, go and tell John the things which you hear and you see. These disciples of John have been around Jesus long enough now to hear his sermons. They've seen his miracles. You've seen it. You've heard it. You know who I am. Go tell John, I am exactly who I said I am. That's the message. Go tell John. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. I am who I said I am. I am who I was prophesied to be. There's no mistakes here. Now that would have been a very powerful answer for John. Because those were all the signs of the Old Testament prophets predicted that the Messiah would fulfill. And so Jesus is telling these disciples to go back to John and tell him to check his notes. You're spiraling, John. You're spiraling. You've got all these things going on that are based on your circumstances. But get back to the book. Get back to the word. Get back to the, the proper checklist. I am who I am supposed to be. And in his doubt, John had started to reimagine what Jesus should be doing, what Jesus should be saying. And he had lost sight of Scripture. Jesus points him back to what he knows to be true. Look back at the evidence. Look back at that criteria. I am who I am supposed to be. Folks, if you're doubting who Jesus is, get back to the book. Just get back to the book. Read the Gospels and keep reading the Gospels until you see for yourself who he really is. It's as simple as that. It's there. And see for yourself if he meets the criteria. And then we come to Thomas. Jesus appeals to something different here. Uh, this time it's, it, it's not, not the evidence, but it's personal now. Look at verse 26. And I smile when I read this. It says, after eight days, the disciples were again inside. So they're all here. There's a second time. But Thomas is with them. Jesus comes, the door's being shut. And he stands in the midst and he just appears and he says, peace to you. And if I'm Thomas, I'm going, oh man, I'm going to just kind of hide a wee bit here because this isn't going to go well. He probably knows what I've been saying and this isn't going to go too well for me. But he turns to Thomas. Reach out your hands. Reach out your hands. You want to know if this is real? Reach out. Touch me. How much proof do you need? Put your hand in my side if you have to. Here I am. Why are you doubting? Do not be unbelieving. Stop refusing to accept the evidence that's in front of you. Stop being unbelieving, but believe. You know, people are funny sometimes. It's amazing what people will believe and what they won't believe. You could just turn around to someone and say, Hey, did you know that there's 735,688,473 stars in the sky? And they go, yeah, wow, it's amazing. But you show them a sign that says wet paint. And they have to touch it. 
It's strange how sometimes there's things that we just assume and we believe and we accept, and there's other things that there's part of us just won't accept. But notice how gracious Jesus is with Thomas. He, he condescends to the request. Putting his hands out, he says, okay, you want the evidence? Check out the evidence. I challenge you, church, to do the same tonight. If you have doubts about the, the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, then go and check out the evidence. Go on a personal discovery. If you want evidence for the historic Christian faith, it abounds. There's plenty of it. The credentials of Christ are basically his impact upon history, fulfilled prophecy, the claims he made about himself, the resurrection. You go and you research those things and you will see that it abounds. The evidence abounds. It's out there. His credentials are there to be seen. Reach out and touch them. Did you know that there's more details available about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus than any other person alive at that time in the entire ancient world? Look at the evidence. And then look at what he says to Thomas after showing him the evidence. He says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Literally, stop becoming faithless. Stop resisting, but become a believer. Thomas, now's the time to rise up and become a believer. Folks, we've got to learn from this. Right? Learn from this. Don't let doubt become unbelief. Test the evidence and test the evidence and be comforted that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. Just as we finish, though, can I give you a couple of hints to help you deal with someone, maybe at work or school or whatever it is, that is struggling with their faith? Um, first thing I would say is, and I'm assuming that this person um, uh, uh, certainly at one time claimed to be a believer or is a believer but is just really struggling, whether it's because they're like John or because they're like Thomas. So I'm assuming that they're taking a position like, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really so sure. Number one, be available. Be available. Don't say, I don't really want to talk about that. That's not my strong point. I don't know. I can't give you answers. Jesus met the doubts of John the Baptist. He met the doubts of Thomas head on. Be available to talk with people about their doubts. Running away from them only confirms to them that there's not answers to be found. That's the last thing they want to do. It deepens their doubt when you refuse to talk to them. So be available. You see, people want this rational faith. There's something within us that says, my heart cannot rejoice in what my head doesn't understand. Which is fair enough. That, that's totally understandable. How can we find complete joy in something that we can't fathom? That's when evidence is so beneficial. God himself said through Isaiah, come and let us reason together. Be available. Number two, be patient. It rarely happens in one conversation. And if you have a follow-up conversation, you know, don't get frustrated. Go, oh, I thought we talked about this already. I thought, I thought you should be fine now. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. As a matter of fact, let me modify that. Don't just be patient. Be irrationally patient. Sometimes it takes time for the seed of truth to start 
taking root and producing something in their life. It needs time to settle. Something that you're talking about may seem so obvious and so simple to you, but you're not coming from a place of doubt. So be patient with them. For some, their doubt, their unbelief has come from years of hurt and wrestling, and they can't reconcile the goodness of God with Christians or church. They're doubting. They're struggling with this. It takes time to reconcile the two. Others perhaps have had a lifetime of poor church experiences, and they've been badly taught or not taught at all. And they don't know that there are answers out there. And so they walk into a university lecture and someone talks about evolution uh, or talks about something, or talks about uh, uh, abortion or, or, or gay rights. And all of a sudden they've got nothing to offer back. And so they go, all right, well, okay, well, the Bible must be wrong then because that makes a lot more sense. I can't make heads or tails of the Bible. And because one thing makes sense and the other doesn't, well, we go with the thing that makes sense because we want rational faith. And if your lifetime of experiences in church has just been you asking questions and then being told, well, you just have to believe. You just have to have faith. At some point, you'll start looking to put your faith in something concrete. So be patient with people. It takes time. Number three, be prepared. If you're going to talk to people who've got questions, Try to do a wee bit of reading to make sure you've got some answers. Why not read up a little bit on the evidences for the Christian faith? It's not hard to do. There's plenty of resources. And I'm not saying you have to get doctorates in science and physics and biology because I know that there's some people who go, oh, no, that's not for me. I just want to tell people to have some faith. It's actually really easy to grasp some simple knowledge. You just have to be prepared to put a wee bit of time in. And instead of saying, oh, I hate it when people ask me these questions, how about saying, I'm ready to help someone because I love my brother and sister in Christ enough to do a wee bit of prep work. I love them enough to not see them struggle in this. And so instead of fobbing them off and pushing them deeper into doubt, I love them enough to try and help them. So I'm going to understand as best as I can the, the reasons why some of these questions are coming up so I can help them. Do you love people enough to do a little bit of leg work on that? Let me just tell you, if you don't know the answers, at least know where to find them, you know? Have some resources about, have a booklet at home or carry one in the car that you can give to someone that has some basic answers in it. They're easy to get. Show them that God is never asking you to take a blind leap into the dark, but a balanced leap into the light. You know, it's quite fun sometimes to dialogue with people who have doubts. Now, they'll say, well, you know, I'm just not, okay, this is, this is how it goes. I, I'm not a person of faith. I'm a little bit more clear thinking, okay, or something like that. And, um, you know, it's just hard for me to have faith. And, and normally I'll say something along the lines of, well, that seems a wee bit strange. That doesn't quite work out. Because you have faith every day. And so I'll say, like, do you understand the workings of your engine and the science behind fuel injection? Chances are they'll say, 
Not really. So you have faith that whenever you get into the car, you turn the key, and the ignition comes, boom, you're going to go. Faith. Or, or what about um, the, do you, have, do you know how Wi-Fi works? Do you know how the internet works and how your phone can connect and how you can, it says, no, not really. I just know that if you put in the right wee code, it just comes up. Or what about fridges? Do you know how fridges work? No, I just know if you plug it in, it gets cold. Right, okay. What about going to a restaurant with faith that when we order the food, we're going to eat the food, we're going to enjoy the food, we're going to have a nice night, and we're not going to get food poisoning? Right? Now, you have to have faith to go into a restaurant. Now, some restaurants require a wee bit more faith than others, but we all have faith in things. Even the atheist lives with faith. Even the doubter lives with faith. So be available, be patient, be prepared. Fourth and final one, <laughs> be nice. Be nice. There is no room for arrogant believers. That's just not how we roll. And seriously question the spiritual maturity of someone who acts and speaks in arrogance. You see somebody getting down on someone or tutting or rolling their eyes because someone has questions? That's not the way to go. That's not how to encourage someone, help someone. Do you notice how Jesus is so compassionate? He doesn't rebuke Thomas or, or, or laugh at John because of their questions. You know, it would be very easy for the disciples from John to say, hey, look, you know, John really wants to know if you're the guy. And Jesus goes, well, he should know. I mean, come on. What's he been doing the last couple of years? Go tell John he's a real disappointment to me. Go tell John that he should repent. But actually, do you know what he does? A couple of verses later on, verse 11 of Matthew 11, he says, of all those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. How's that for responding to a doubter? John's got questions but he's seeking out the answers. Listen, there's no one better than John the Baptist. How's that for a response for someone who's got questions? Be nice. Build people up. Encourage them. When it comes to Thomas, you know, Thomas wasn't there the first time. He comes the second time. He's there. What if Jesus turned around and said to our disciples, you know, guys, we all, you all believed. You all responded right. Let's all just form a wee circle around Thomas and pray for him. doesn't do that. In both cases, he offers proof of his identity, proof of his activity. Jesus loves people. He loves all people. He loves doubting people. He loves you. And so when you go and you speak to people who've got doubts, be available, be patient, be prepared, but please be nice and encourage those who need to encourage them. Let's pray. Father, you don't tell us to just accept blindly in faith. But Father, you have not given us a spirit of fear or doubt, but of power and of sonship. And if we are sons, Lord, then we are heirs. And as we cry out, Abba, Father, Lord, even if it's the only thing that we can muster in the fogginess of our doubt, Lord, your spirit testifies to ours that we are your children and we're held firm 
in Christ. And so, like that man who met Christ, may we say, we believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. Help us in our doubt. Help us in our questions. Help us in our, in our confusion, Lord, because we don't understand everything. We're not you. We can't understand it all. We're limited. Our abilities to understand are limited. And so, Lord, I pray, help us. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to build each other up. Lord, help us to go and seek out the answers to the questions that are there. And Lord, help kill our unbelief and crush it with certainty and assurance, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we might be an encouragement to the people around us. And so, Lord, we pray this in your, in your precious name. Amen. We're going to sing just one more song. And then